This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. Because if you can tell me what your habits are, I can tell you what sort of a person you are. I can tell you what your future looks like. But like I always say, life is 10% what happens to you. It's 90% what you do about it. The people who are most effective in the workplace believe that their future is going to be bigger than their past. When people don't believe that their future is going to be bigger than their past, they begin to disengage. You're listening to The Circuit of Success, a podcast dedicated to helping you achieve success in every facet of life, only on the lineupmedia.fm podcast network. Now, your host, Brett Gilliland. Welcome to The Circuit of Success. I'm your host, Brett Gilliland. Today, I've got Trey Hardy with me. Trey, what's going on, man? How are you? No, it's another day in paradise, man. Beautiful day down here in Austin, Texas. Beautiful Austin, Texas. We were just talking before we started recording. You got all sorts of people moving there. Well, you got Elon Musk there now. You got Joe Rogan. Yeah, Trey I think Hardy. People. <laughs> I don't. I don't think I was the draw, but I think you know people are starting to realize. You know, after I think a couple of decades of Austin being like just a really fun town to come to. Yeah. Um, and just a few companies knew about kind of the, the economic climate, the talent pool and all the, all the other things that are on the outside of sixth street. Um, yeah. I think it, the secret's been out for several years now, but now people are starting to kind of put their money where their mouth is and relocate headquarters and gobble up a bunch of real estate. And it's been, it's been awesome. But as that's happened, my wife and I, we started, we've had more children. And so we started to move further from the the city center and so we in the hubbub yeah we're like 15 miles west now out in okay. drift, driftwood texas driftwood texas i've heard of that and a lot of people are buying ranches i hear right just trying to get a bunch of land they're realizing they can live on this postage stamp in california or come buy a, a bunch of land in austin texas yeah basically we traded a like uh 1200 square foot condo for uh like a 4,000 square foot and an acre out here. So yeah. it's like, we're, we're enjoying life. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Well, you are a former NCAA champion, a two-time outdoor world champion. You were on the Olympics uh, for the decathlon in 2008, and you are a silver medalist in the 2012 London games, man. That's incredible. When you, yeah, when you, the, the list is cool, but the, you know, the further out you, you get from it, I'm, I'm technically, I feel like I'm an old man now. I'm 38. So <laughs> the further away I get from those things, the cooler they are, you know, but when yeah. you're in the middle of it, it's just, that was my job. That's what you do. It's kind of like if you're like an asset manager and you do that for 20 years and you look back and you're like, man, I've managed a trillion dollars worth of assets. <laughs> right. That, it's really cool. But when you're in the middle of it, you're, it's, you're so focused and it just is, is what you do. That was your, that was my job. You know, my job was to try to be the best. Yeah. And, that, and I, I got to believe, man, that training is just so intense. And so you figure how much of your life, I mean, how many years of your life were you watching what you ate, showing up to the gym every day? I mean, what was that like? Uh, eight, 18 ish. Yeah. I'd say 18 years as like an athlete. And I'd say like 15 of really being like treating it, at like a job. And then I'd say 11 or 12 of like very diligent professionalism that, that like kind of intensity and sacrifice that you talk about. Yeah. Um, but it's, 
it's really not that intense. I mean, it's, it's routine and it's rhythmic and it's consistent and it's really not sexy at all. Like the, the stuff that really makes you a great, you know, decathlete, it's really just being consistent with this like unsexy, like discipline where you're just metronomic and you've got this, uh, for myself, it was just the ability to kind of trick myself into doing it when, even when I didn't want to, you know, like just right. kind of consistently showing up so that, you know, when, when the lights came on and when my name was called, I was ready to operate and just be free and compete and not have to like, I never second guess myself. I never thought, oh man, I wish I'd put in more effort or I wish I had tried harder or like been more prepared. I was always kind of ready to go, but that, that readiness is not always sexy. It's not always like running, you know, single races. It's not always like in the newspapers or anything right. like that. So. Well, yours, your discipline is one of the hardest ones, right? If not the hardest, they would say. I'm a little biased, but it is the hardest one. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. Cause you got 10 different things, right? From javelin to hurdles to long distance, short distance. I mean, you've got it all. Right. And it all has to come together. You know, it's not just like if you're training for the pole vault, that's a totally different physical demand, mental demand, and energy system than if you're throwing the shot put or running the 400 meter dash. And so, to be your best in all of the events when it matters the most. It's this like 10, 10 little rivers have to come together to form this one stream versus, and, or like you're trying to peak in 10 different things. And so that's the, the, the game of it all, you know, the best, uh, I think the best, you know, metaphor for it is golf, you know, golf uh, requires a ton of different skill, a ton of different shot shapes, a ton of different uh, clubs in your bag. And, no one's ever shot a perfect round. People have come close, but yep. there's always like two or three, three putts, or you miss a green or something. You're in the trap for something and, or you're missing a fairway. Like there's always something that keeps you addicted to it. Like I'm going to yeah. go out, I'm going to get it better next time. Okay. What can I do to get better at this thing? Um, but it, the best all around golfers are the ones that win tournaments. That's right. That's right. So talk to us about what it was like growing up, man. You don't just uh, all of a sudden become an Olympic athlete, right? So what was that upbringing like? What was your parents like? All that kind of stuff. Uh, so my, we can, I don't want to gloss over anything and not do anything at the service it deserves, but it's a, it's a cool story where my, my parents got divorced when I was really young. So my mom uh, raised me and my sister for a few years, several years by herself. Um, without family. Like we moved up to Birmingham, Alabama, which is where I grew up. And my wife, uh, I say my wife, my mom found a, uh, an awesome, awesome man in Frank DeCessory and they dated for a number of years, got married. He became my stepdad and kind of this like athletic mentor. I mean, he was my friend. We did everything together. He taught me every sport and I would, I was always involved in something. You know, I went from season to season to season to sport to sport to sport as first as a means of daycare. It was just something this this after school program. So my mom could continue to work uh, and we weren't home by ourselves. And so I was in every sport and it ultimately just became like this breeding ground of competitiveness. I love to play and I love to be around my friends. And so I, it, I played everything that I could, uh, you know, until high school. And I got, you know, basketball is my number one passion. And I was kind of undersized for football. I grew up Alabama, like football is, is religion. And um, we, I went to a a school that threw the ball like twice a game. And it was, if we were down by two touchdowns with a minute left. So everyone knew that was going to happen. And uh, my sophomore year of 
of high school, I was like five, eight and 130 pounds. So like, right. I was not, I was not doing anything. You get murdered out here. <laughs> I was, but I was fast. So I had a spot, you know, I, I could fit in where I got in, but it just wasn't for, wasn't for me. Um, and so right when I quit football, it was like full-time basketball. And then that only went on for about a year. And the coach, you know, asked me to not come back out for the team. He's like, he just said, go be a pole vaulter. And hmm. not to gloss over like how devastating all of that was, but I, I, you know, I didn't want to go to school. Like I was a good basketball player. I was a starter. Like I did, it didn't make sense to me. And no one, no one believed me that I hadn't done anything wrong. You know, I mean, like there was the, yeah, my parents didn't for sure didn't believe me, but yeah, I took that energy and went out and I, I set the state record in the pole vault and like the very next indoor season in Alabama, which isn't super high, but it is, it was something I did, you know, I was right. like, okay, I'm going to I'm going to go, I'm going to go show this guy. I'm going to be, I'm going to be the best pole vaulter I, like out that they've ever seen, you know? And uh, it was, it was at that moment that, okay, track is track might be for me. That might be my ticket into college. I think I'm going to do this. And I, I remember one day after my senior, like middle of my senior season, uh, my school didn't have a pole vault coach. So I went to pole vault camps up in Arkansas and I came back and I saw a professional pole vaulter there jumping. His name's Jeff Hartwig. He used to have the American record. And I told my mom, I was like, mom, I'm going to be a professional pole vaulter. Like I saw it. I never know. You never knew you could do that. That's what I want to do. And she just was kind of like, okay, son, like yeah. just kind of pats you on the back yeah. and just says, this, like, this okay, will blow over. <laughs> just make sure you get a good education and make good grades because you're like, you're going to have to fall back on something. Um, and like three, three years later, I was an NCAA champion in the decathlon a couple of years after that, went to my first Olympic games and the next season, won my first world championships, uh, doing an event. I didn't even know what all the events were back when I told my mom, I wanted to be a professional pole vaulter. Wow. That is incredible, man. Well, thanks for sharing yeah. that. That's a, you know, it, it makes me think too, like there's so many things in life with people. You can look at people that came from a, a divorced home, people that came from a married home, right? People that came from money, people that didn't come from money. I mean, there's all these different recipes for success, isn't there? I mean, it's just incredible to me. And that's what I love about doing this podcast is here you have somebody like you at the top of your game and you talk about the story from your childhood, right? That, that helps shape who you are, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Would you agree with that? I mean, 10 out of 10. I mean, we are, you know, the product of all of these constructs and stories and narratives that, that shape us and how we were raised. And, and I've spent a lot of time since I'd retired trying to figure out, okay, what, how, how did I do what I just did? What made me successful yeah. or what made me, what made this feel easier than it probably was for some other people. Um, and that's part of like a gratitude journal and an experience of like really thinking back and meditating and going back and trying to like, parent my younger self and figure out what what about me made the decathlon fun because it's not fun for some yeah. uh and from the outside looking in it definitely doesn't look fun but um yeah i there is no one answer you know there is no one way um and i think even today and i, I don't think it's ever not true what we see is just this final product and we just see you know, I've, I kind of use Kobe Bryant as an example in a lot of speeches that I give where people just see him when the lights are on and no one really got to see the work that he put in from right. the age of like seven to 37 of being the, no one was in the gym more than he was. And no one was doing that, that unsexy stuff, the fundamentals, no one was better at that than he was. 
so that when the lights came on, he could just beat Kobe and, and go into that, that zone and flow and, and just, he's not worried about dribbling. He's not worried about yeah. the little stuff. Right. But that's all people really saw. No one knows any of the other narratives that made him who he was. Um, he talks about an alter ego, right? I mean, he, he talks about having this alter ego to your point. And when the lights come on, he goes to this whole other spot when he was playing. Yeah. And the best performers do the best performers aren't thinking they're, 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 they're just open and they, they're operating from this really, really robust platform of, of preparedness of have, having done all the things, right. There's nothing else they could have done to be more prepared for those moments. I think that's what separates guys that are just incredibly talented and probably somewhat successful versus the people we're going to talk about for all time. You know, Tom Brady, yeah. I, we just, I'm pretty sure he's going to retire. It's been like, he's retiring. He's not retiring. Like this, this is all happening right now. And everybody to the number talks about his prepare, preparation. Everyone that's ever been involved with him. He's not the most talented guy. He doesn't have the strongest arm. He's not fast. Like he's not, but he prepared better than anyone else that came before him and maybe ever will. And that's, yeah. that was the difference. Have you watched man in the arena on ESPN plus? Not yet. I'm saving it for like a long trip. I'm saving it for where I can like actually <laughs> binge. We have, I got three kids under, under five and yeah, oh yeah. You're crazy busy. When my head hits the pillow, it's, it's hitting the pillow and I'm not, right. I'm not moving. Right. You're like so, I'm done. I'm exactly. done. Yeah. That's funny. It's, it's phenomenal. I just started watching it this weekend. I'm, I've got four boys. And so me and a couple of the older ones where we've been watching it, it's been, uh, it's been awesome, man. So much to learn from that guy. Mm. So let's, let's talk about this from the business owner side, you know, from business side to the track and field side, you, you wrote on your Instagram, show up, be joyful, leave it better than you found it. Walk me through that. What's that mean to you? Uh, that's kind of just putting it out in the universe to hold myself accountable. You know, I mentioned my, my stepfather and leave it better than you found it is just one of the tenants and one of the, the principles that guided his parenting of myself. You know, if you borrow something, you return it better than you found it. And the whole point of us being on the earth, I believe, is to leave it in a better state than we found it. You know, I think if every it, in, incredibly naive, but if everybody did something to that effect, man, I mean, we're one generation away from having this incredible, you know, paradise on earth experience, but, um, and just showing up, that's a part of what, what I think made me successful in, in my former life and the athletic life is that's, that's people say, I mean, you can assign it a number that's, you know, that's half the battle or that's 90% of success is just showing up, but it really is just a part of living a fulfilled life, giving yourself the opportunity to put in work and giving yourself the opportunity to enjoy and experience life. Just showing up is, is, it's the first step and it's the next best step that you can always do, no matter what the endeavor is. If it's learning a new skill, if it's, it's deepening your, your knowledge base in something, it's incredibly daunting if it's brand new. And it's incredibly daunting because that ego doesn't ever want us to be the dumbest guy in the room. Like we'd always like to, to have more knowledge and to do those right. things, but, but just taking the first step and moving in that, that direction, whatever that may be, it's a critical component of success. And then, and being joyful, we have a choice. There's a, there's a choice. You wake up every day and that choice is whether to, to look at the world through the aperture of like, woe is me, victimhood, what's going to go wrong next? Or you can look through the world through, through a joyful lens, that joyful uh, reticular activation where, man, I mean, it's raining today in Austin, but man, it's going to be great. 
Like it's going to be great because this rain's good for the plants. It's good for this. It's good for this. It's making me stay inside. So I'm getting a ton of work done today. Like <laughs> I've again, three kids under five, something's going wrong all the time. And there is someone is crying. Someone is pulling someone's hair. Someone's doing something, but being joyful gets, gives me the chance to like pull back and realize, wow, we've got three beautiful, healthy kids and look at like, they're learning from each other right now. And they're, they're developing skills by chasing each other around the house. They're developing skills and doing this. And like, you can tell they really care about each other because when that one got hurt, they all ran and all that stuff is a choice. Or you can be the opposite and just like, everybody stop running. Listen to me. Like you can turn into that version of yourself. And that's, it's a constant do. God, so easy to do. And I'm, I'm (laughs) not, Again, I was not cut out. To yeah, do you want to get your wife in here? We'll have oh. we'll have her be interviewed about this. Jeez, Louise, I think that's probably the best course of action. So, like, you follow this up with like, no, let me tell you how it really is. Uh, right. But that's that accountability, that self. Like, I'm putting it out in the universe because I need to do a better job of it. I mean, a year ago, I was in the lowest point of my life, and I think a lot of professional athletes transition somewhat looks like that, where. Yeah. I, I was the best in the world and I knew I was put on that earth. I knew God made me to be a decathlon. I had the, I had the skills and the levers and the, the attitude and all the things like we mentioned that story and that narrative of my life. I, that's what I was supposed to do. And I, I don't miss it. I knew it was time to hang them up. I knew it was time to move on and, 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 and start this next chapter, but it's hard going from you know, the best to literally no applicable skill. Like, no, yeah. like I, I was 34 years old and had never, i had had job. I worked my way through junior high and high school, but it never, my job was, was running training. Yeah. Right. So coming out with, with nothing was a, a transition. You can talk yourself through for a while after a little while, but then when you still don't have that, that thing that, you know, you're supposed to be doing, it wears on you. And so like four years into not really having that thing. And I went back, I got my MBA. I I've started and, and wound up like six or seven businesses, all of them. I mean, none of them like wildly successful, but all of them made money and I learned a ton and I I've helped people here and there and contract labor. And I still get to stay in touch with the sport with through NBC and commentating the Olympics and big major events, but there still is not that one thing. And so there's, there's this, this hole. And so I found myself on a daily basis, just, the victim of what am I supposed to do? And like, God, I'm I'm trusting you here, but it's been four years and I am miserable. There's that big bucket in my life where I'm not working towards something. And I'm not like, I know the feeling, I know that blessed feeling where, man, this is it. Like, I know this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And it's a joy to clock into work every day. And I was clocking in to staring at my computer and like, you can only do so much administrative work. Like right. all the, the inboxes were empty and I'm like, let me call some friends. Like, and I was out, of, I was out of people to call and I was at a really low point having anxiety attacks, like talking to psychiatrists about what medications I should be on. And like, what, what am I missing? Like, is there a chemical imbalance in my brain? Cause I, I shouldn't be unhappy. I've got such a blessed life and a blessed existence. What's going I like something's up. Something's really, yeah. really up. And so it's been a lot of meditation, a lot of patience, but we, I, I'm on the right track. But a big part of that was just joy. Those, and those three tenets, you know, show up, be joyful, and leave it better than you found it. And those are just the best next steps that you can take. 
Well, I appreciate those vulnerabilities, man. That's not easy to share, I know. And I think uh, if you're like me, you probably find the more you share it, the more you find other people have uh, dealt with the same thing that you're dealing with. 100%. I mean, I'm not, I'm not unique in, this, in those feelings and that experience. My story is unique, but I think we're all in our own ways dealing with that kind of stuff. There's all those insecurities. We're imperfect beings. And we, we especially today and all this, we're always connected. We're always seeing... Like, you know, like on Instagram, we're seeing the best versions of everybody else. And so there's a, no matter how much you tell yourself that, I know that's the best version. They're probably struggling. You still don't know. And so if I can just help one person or someone could hear my story or hear like, oh man, Trey was struggling. Like, yeah, it's, it's very real and it's very okay. And I think that was a big part of it too, is me just accepting like, it's okay to, to feel this, like, let myself feel this. Because without that, you can't process it. You can't learn from it. Denying, denying it was just making it worse. Yep. Yeah, I mean, that's for me. I, I dealt with that anxiety, nervousness kind of most of my life. And I felt the more I kept it a secret that it would just go away. And actually, the worse it got, right? And then I found after a, I had a panic attack in a meeting. Um, and man, you know, I thought I was having a heart attack. I mean, all this stuff, right? And it's like, well, no. I mean, after you know, doing some stuff, I found out it was really anxiety. And so what, what really led for me is finding a greater purpose, right? Finding that cause, finding that thing that I wanted to go out and do. And that's quite frankly, is what blossomed into visionary wealth advisors. What, um, you know, one of the companies I co-founded and yeah. where I work every single day and feed our family. And it's like, you had to go through the crap, right. To get to the good. Mm-hmm. And for you, man, I was successful, right. I'm using air quotes. If you're watching this, I was successful, in business, all these things. I'm like, what, what, what's my problem? Why am I doing this? And why am I so the same thing going to the doctors? And finally, one of them's like, Hey dude, you can either quit your job or you can step up and get through this stuff. And I was like, man, I needed to hear that. Right. And so now here we are. And so it doesn't go away. It's just one of those things you got to learn to turn it into an ally and to your friend and deal with it. It's okay to share vulnerabilities with, you know, a guy that like you, Trey and Brett who don't know each other, but yet we can share that vulnerability with each other and connect on it. Yeah. And it does, it does me no good. And that's again, the thing, it does me no good to keep it to myself, you know, and a part yeah. of leaving, leaving this place better than I found it is sharing my experiences and being open. And, and there's, I'm, I'm the opposite of ashamed of it. I'm really proud of, of the journey I've been on. Um, because again, it takes a lot, it takes work to get out of it. It's not, I'm going to keep going back to this. It's not sexy work. Like it's a lot of right. deep, deep self admissions and, and being hard on yourself and, and kind of holding yourself to account um, to, to do it, like to get through those moments. Like you're saying, someone had, like you had to make that decision. Someone had to put it to you like, Hey man, you, just, just quit or, or get it, get it done. Like figure yeah. it out. It's great. So talk to us about how you were a student in the game. Um, you know, you talked about when Kobe Bryant, the lights come on. For you, the lights come on. You're at the Olympics, right? 2012 Olympics. You probably were favored, if I'm not mistaken. You were favored to be a medalist, right? And you got that pressure on you. I'm assuming like most of us, you put pressure on yourself as well. But you learned to get through that and you performed. Walk us through what that looked like for you. Yeah, that's the, I think the, the if I'm, like if I pass away today, that's the story of, of my life and what I think I would want to be remembered for in my athletic career. I mean, I was the, the, the two-time world champion leading up to that 
those Olympic games, I was the number one athlete in the world, you know, world's best athlete is that kind of moniker that the decathlon carries and things were, it was looking up, things were moving in the direction. This was going to be Trey's games. This was going to be awesome. And at the 2011 world championships, I completely shredded my elbow in the jab, my right elbow. Like it's, it was Tommy John's times two. So they couldn't even find my UCL. Like they could not find, you can still see oh, wow. that, that yeah. zipper. That zipper is over a decade old. It's not, I don't think it's going away anytime soon. Um, so this is in mid September um, of 2011. I wake up after surgery. Um, Dr. James Andrews actually did the surgery, all the things that came in together to have me get to champions clinic and in my own hometown in Birmingham to have the godfather of orthopedic surgery, the guy that put Drew Brees' arm back together, did my surgery. Um, so I had like a little over eight months to get ready to try to make an Olympic team. So I went from world's greatest athlete to just being asked to touch my fingers together because I couldn't, because we had all the nerves transposed and all the things that were all the complications and stuff. Like I, I couldn't straighten my arm for two months. Like I couldn't, oh do, couldn't do anything. I didn't, I couldn't throw anything until late April, early May. And I was just throwing tennis balls. Like it was again, the, the week after surgery, I had the, the wherewithal or just the, the fortune to just like, you know what? Okay. I've got a, this is, this is a pivotal moment in my life. I can, I can say like, ah, let's just phone it in. I'll be ready for the next Olympics. Or I can look back on this and know, okay, I, I did everything humanly possible to try to get ready to give myself a chance. I know I'm going to be able to run. I know I'm probably going to be able to jump. Let's, let's do everything we can to be ready to throw so that no matter what, win, lose, DNF, which is do not finish, at the Olympic trials, I'm going to look back and be proud of what I had done. I'm going to be proud of, of the decisions I've made and the sacrifices and the work that I put in. And so not to gloss over the no joke, like 35,000 repetitions that I did in six months, which I wrote down and counted them all. Like I've got them in a log <laughs> on my bookshelf right now. Um, all of that it added into me getting to the Olympic trials. I had thrown the javelin one time in practice. It did not go far. It didn't go far enough, but we had a game plan and said, okay, this is the marks we have to hit in each event in order to give ourselves a chance to make the team. And so I threw the javelin one time and you would have thought I had set the javelin world record. I, I was running circles around the, the <sighs> arena. I, I made the Olympic team throwing, you know, 80 feet short of my, my best. Right. Oh. And it was just this moment. I, I couldn't believe I had done it. And it was my own personal, like, moment right there that was just so special and everybody that had knew me from that season knew how special it was and then i got to watch my teammate and buddy ashton break the world record right after that so i was a part of this world record i got to see it all happen i got to make the team i had no business making the team like that was the you know world's shortest you know tommy john recovery um and then six months later six weeks later i'm in london so now i've thrown the javelin one time I've practiced the javelin a couple more times and could only throw like a couple of times per session. Cause it just, it's hurt. That thing wasn't cooked yet. You know, that, that the, the tendon that they used had not 
totally hardened and turned into a ligament yet. Like my joint was not stable, you know? So wow. I get, I get to London and I'm just playing with house money and I'm looking at, you know, I'm, I'm there with this joyful mindset with this, again, this like reticular activation of, wow, I can't believe I'm here. Let's soak this in and have, and no matter what, I'm going to look back on this with a great experience. I'm going to have a great time. I'm going to have great memories, no matter win, lose or draw a great time and a great like games because in 2008, my first games wasn't that way. I was kind of hyper competitive. I was, I mean, looking back, I had developed so many neuroses of like, I have to eat this and I have to do this at this time. I have to do this at this time. And you develop all these like dependencies on stuff that made you good, but you really didn't need them to be good. You just needed to be happy. So this was my opportunity, not only redemptive in that, in that regard about my attitude and the way I approached it, but Hey, what do I have to lose? Let's do it. And I could look back on that year and say, there is nothing more I could have done to be prepared for these moments. I'm in the best shape of my life. Looking back the best shape I was ever going to be in. Uh, and Hey, anything can happen. Let's go. So those two days of the decathlon just fell together where I didn't really have like a bad event. And I didn't have any great events, but it was just all there for me. And I was soaking it all in. And I think it just, it's a lesson for any of us in life. So I show up to the, the javelin and I look at my coach. We're at the London Olympic Games. I'm in second place. The guy that's in third and the guy that's in fourth can throw the piss out of the javelin. <laughs> and I'm going to need to throw really far to, to win an Olympic medal. There's no, like, I, I can't do what I did at the Olympic trials or I don't get a medal. Yeah. So I just look at him. I'm like, you know what? I think it's going to hold up. I'm going to let's move my step back. Let's not do the safe throw that we were planning on it. Let's let's throw. Let's do a normal throw. Let's go. And he just looks at me and he's like, okay. he trusted me. He knew the work we had done. And I step back and I throw within a meter and a half, which is only like it's like four feet of my all time personal best at the Olympic Games. Ten months after Tommy John surgery. And it's, I, you, I blacked out. I don't even, I don't remember the next two hours because I was just like living. You can't, you can't describe it. You can't describe those feelings. It's, it's just impeccable. Like that, that high that, that I was on. And so I was again, unbelievably fortunate that my compatriot Ashton won. He beat me by like a hundred and hundred and something points. Like I wasn't about to outrace him in the 1500 to, to run him down. Uh, I think he had like an 80 or 90 point lead on me going in. And I got to hear the national anthem. Like I got to hear our, our song. I got to wear the medal. I got to sit there on the podium with my buddy and just that, that, that is my like defining, you know, sport legacy was that uh, given, you know, horrible scenario, given a, this, what seemed like an insurmountable timeline. I just did my best. That was it. And it was good enough. And even if it wasn't good enough, which it hadn't been good enough on some occasions, I still look back on those moments, like with, with just such pride in my own, like, like, man, I'm really proud of young Trey. I don't know if I, I don't know if today I could make that decision. I don't know if I could do it, but I'm really proud of that former version of myself. And so that, that feeling of just being proud of that, that old, that younger version of myself gets me through a lot of, of stuff that I don't want to do. Yeah. 
Well, man, that's a phenomenal story. And you could feel the passion in you when you were talking about it. You could just see it on your face. And it, it's incredible, man. What a story. Uh, thanks for sharing that. It, it made me think about, you said, what's the worst that can happen, right? Uh, Dino Descalzo, former Cardinal player, was on a couple of weeks ago. And he talked about that. You know, if I go in here, you know, playoff game, you know, there's millions of people watching. But at the end of the day, it's like nobody's going to die, right? If I strike out, it's, it's like, what's the worst that could really happen? I get out. And now maybe people are mad at you, but I always ask myself four questions when making decisions is whatever the, whatever the thing is that I'm trying to do, what's the best thing that can happen? What's the worst thing that can happen if I do this, right? What's the best thing that can happen if I don't do it? What's the worst thing that can happen if I don't do it? And you look at those four quadrants and man, you walk through that exercise. You've got your decision like that, right? Because the best thing versus the worst thing that can happen never are equal or never equal. Right. And you're leaving a lot of opportunity on there. So it made me think about that is the worst thing that happened is you went all out, right? You try to throw that javelin and your arm blows up and you're done. Right. Didn't get to finish the race, but at the end of the day, man, you gave it everything you had. And I bet if that would have happened and we were sitting here today interviewing you, you would have said, you know what? I gave it everything I had, man. I prepared, I fought, I left it all in the field. Right. That would have been a story as well. Yeah, and I would I would imagine in that quadrant too, like the what's the worst that could happen is mainly like ego driven. I would imagine because yep. there's nothing more exposed than I think Olympic track and field. Like yeah. it, it is binary. I mean, it's ones and zeros, pretty objective. Win or lose, we're gonna find out how the kind of work you put in right now. Like you're getting in the blocks. We're about to find out how how well you've trained and and how prepared you are for this moment. And you're doing it in spandex. So, I mean, there's nothing more exposed than those moments. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Half naked doing it. Um, what What do you wish you knew then that you know to your core right now? You know it, man. This is a belief I have. I cannot shake from it. What do you know now that you wish you knew then? Ooh. My mind jumped to something a little less like like tenant and something like you could you can hang on to and more just like everything's gonna be okay. Like that's, and that's great. That's a great hey, answer. Hey, it, everything's gonna be all right. Um, I think that's the only thing that kind of kind of can grip you a little bit is like the uncertainty of like man, I hope nothing happens. I I hope I make this team. I hope I I stay healthy. I hope all of these things, but. Um, really that's been a part of my transition out of sports or trying to is trying to find those things that what made me successful on the track and what gave me that fulfilled existence. And when my head hit the pillow, I was asleep. What gave me all that stuff, how to, how to kind of use that in this, in these next journeys and use that moving forward. And I, and it's in the stories I've just told you about, you know, the things that I learned then, are that still the things those are my that's the bedrock right now still to this day it's like finding leaving things better than you found it and, and looking at things through joy and showing up and and making sure that i'm doing things today that i'm going to be proud of tomorrow that i'm going to be proud of in a week in a year's time in 10 years time that i'm going to be excited to like i want my kids when they turn 30 to ask a story like to be proud of the stories i get to tell them that's awesome that's awesome what um when, when you think about the journey, right, you took this amazing journey and, and here you are now. Um, but how did you, on the days you didn't want to do it, what did you do? Cause I know you showed up. 
Yeah. So there's a, a I don't, I'm not a man of like many mantras. I mean, I know I've, I've reiterated a few today, but when I got to, to college, when I got to Mississippi State, the first year I was there, there was a senior decathlete. And one of the first or second days there, I mean, I, I went from not really training. I was just a, an athlete that could pole vault um, to going and training for like the hardest event in track and field. And I didn't know why we were doing a lot of the things we were doing. I was, I hated every practice because I was bad at, I wasn't good at anything. And I was not fit. Running was hard. I hated, I just hated it. And his, he would just lean over and whisper. And he's like, Hey, there's no place I'd rather be than right here, right now. That was like the first week I was on campus. I said that to my, I would whisper that to myself, the last workout I ever did as a professional in 2017. You know what? There is no place I'd rather be than right here, right now. Putting in work, being out, I got to work out outside every day. Like, and I know what this is going to get me. I know that this is the stuff that puts you on a podium. And this is the stuff that, that lets you sleep easy the night before a competition because you know you've done it. Um, I would just whisper that, that to myself like several times a week sometimes. Other times it, I would go months without having to, having to look back on it. But there's no place I'd rather be. You know? And that was, that's kind of a nice test for myself moving forward. If there's ever a place I would rather be than where I am currently, probably shouldn't be doing it. Yeah. Probably is probably isn't the thing for me. Yeah, I love that mantra. That's great. So uh, we're going to talk about Ultimate Wellness, which is your wellness practice you started, which I can't wait yeah. to hear more about and share with our listeners. But before we go there, how do you help the the Bretts of the world? Right? There's a lot of people like me listening to this. And to your point, you've got you got kids and you got business and work and it's busy and it's doing this and doing that and and you think you're busy now, Trey, wait till they start getting into all these sports and all the stuff, man. I'm, I'm gone every single night. So, but mm. what, what do you share with business leaders like us to be at peak performance, man? What are the things I need to be doing every day? There's a lot of different things really, but this, it's a long game. This isn't some like, Oh, if I just start doing that this week, everything's going to be good. You know, like you got to play the long game. You got to have something way out that you're trying to be ready for. So uh, in my, in our practice, it is not, we don't push anyone off a cliff and give them everything uh, all at once. It's, it's kind of a plus one mentality. And when you master the fundamentals of, of some important tenets, we move you into that next stage. You call it like, you know, elementary, then you get to the middle school education, then you get to high school and graduate level and then PhD level of, of things. And you cannot be, you can't skip a step. You can't go from, you know, elementary school to being a PhD. That's, there's nothing to, to, to be grounded on. And so we play the long game, you know, yeah. don't, you can't, you're not going to, you're not going to accomplish your goals this month. I'm sorry. You're just not, cause it's not, it's not sustainable or you're going to do it using methods that aren't sustainable. And so it's, it's playing the long game. And then it's understanding and being honest with yourself that there's going to have to be sacrifice. You're going to have to take, there's only so many hours in the day. And I think that's the number one thing is like, I just don't have time to do this, 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 and this. And so you're going to have to reprioritize things and just shuffle things in and out of your schedule and cut things out of your own lifestyle in order to achieve a goal. And if you, and if, again, if there's someplace else you'd rather be, then this really probably isn't going to be sustainable. It's not going to be, you know, a long-term achievement for you. Um, 
that those are the two main things that we try to preach and, and hammer down so that people really understand what, what really high performers are able to do. You, you, anybody can do it once or twice, but consistently successful people make the right decision over and over and over and over again. Now that's successful, even being a good husband, being a good father, all that stuff. Uh, it's just making these little tiny unsexy decisions over and over and over again, over time that lead to these amazing, you know, robust, you know, high performing outcomes. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Even on the business side, I, I use a journal every single day and I've created my own journal. I'm going to start, you know, producing that for people, but oh, awesome. it, it's one of those things is if I look back over my 20 year career, it's, it's not a ton of different things. It's doing five or six things every single day. Right. It's just showing up every day yep. and just doing them. And there are the days, you know, where I used to beat myself up, up over it when I was in my 20s, my 30s, I'm 44 now, where I would beat myself up if it wasn't perfect. It's okay to not have a perfect day, but still show up and make some effort. Right. And, but it, but it is, it's just, you got to be showing up every single day, man, every mm -hmm. single day uh, to get what you want to get in life. Uh, and how important was accountability to that? I know Cal Callahan, who was on this podcast before. You guys are buddies there in Austin and, and you have that group, right? Um, like how important is accountability for you to know that somebody maybe on Wednesday morning is going to be there waiting for you? Yeah, community is a big part of that. I think that community breeds uh, relationship and you can deepen those relationships with vulnerability and just, again, just showing up, you know, yeah. just, just, just being there. I think there is innately we're social creatures. We want to be around other people. We want to feel supported and the bonds that are created through struggle uh, and through, you know, deep conversations and vulnerability, like it, it's that alternative. It's like, man, maybe physically I don't feel my best, but man, it's addictive to go hang out with these men and it's addictive to go, you know, catch up with my friends and it's addictive to be around a group of people. And that's, it wasn't the, the physical programming. I can, we can go on and on about that. It was the community that CrossFit got right. Yeah, it really the cultured community of what that that um, business created was was near perfect. Right, right, absolutely, absolutely. So tell us more about Altum Wellness. What's that about? Altum was it? It's Greek for both the, um, or sorry, Latin for both the the highest of highs and the deepest of depths, and so. I, again, have spent this, this time, this, the last half a decade trying to figure out how, how can I marry what, I'm, what I love doing now and what I'm passionate about now in entrepreneurship into what I used to do, and what, was, what made me special and what made it good. Yeah. And it's, it's born this baby of, of Altum Wellness. And so Altum Wellness, we have these 10 pillars, like a decathlon of, of holistic wellness. And the the deepest and of depths, we've got four kind of qualitative pillars, kind of like your family life, your relationships at work, um, your, your passion for seeking knowledge, um, constructive hobbies, like things that really know no depths. No, you can always be better. We can always deepen those relationships. And then we've got six uh, quantitative things that, that anybody can count, you know, exercise and diet and sleep. Um, there's unbelievable technology right now that we can measure a lot of that stuff. Um, and so what I'm working on right now with a beta group is like aggregating and quantifying all that information to create some kind of metric to keep track, to, to have overall wellness, much like 
the world's best athlete has the highest points at the end of the decathlon. Yeah. That's what we're kind of, kind of building and working towards. And we've got, yeah, an awesome team of coaches that are all from like high performance backgrounds. We've got myself and that is what Autumn Wellness is right now. We launched January 3rd and we're working with a really, really small group of people right now to make sure we get it right over the next six months. Um, we check blood work. We do all kinds of stuff. We get to track a lot of really interesting parts of people's lives, but people are checking in and it's going really, really well. And we're kind of awesome. like, like any startup, we're, I mean, we're building the plane as we fly. Like we've already, yeah, took, exactly. we, we took off and we're still like applying the rear rudders and engines and stuff. Yeah. And so that's what this, this period of time's for. And it's just been, it's been this perfect alignment from what I used to do, what I'm supposed to be doing right now with my life and all of the tactile skills that I've been able to, to accrue over the last 20 years. Uh, it's been really, really fun. Like really fun. That's the best way I can describe it. Well, with you having fun, having some joy and, uh, you know, laughing along the way and learning from your, your mistakes and, and from your successes, I have no doubt you're going to be su super successful, man. So um, kind of last couple of questions for you is our firm talks about uh, our mission is to have a future greater than your past or helping people achieve a future greater than your past. So when you hear that, what, what comes to mind for you? Hmm. I... I really think about making those like unsexy decisions. Like it's not sexy. It's kind of that, that gratification scale. Like the things that have the most long-term impact on our life aren't really gratifying at the beginning. And the things that are super gratifying in the, at the beginning, like, you know, sweets and sugars and buying lotto yeah. tickets and that kind of stuff yeah. have very little impact and actually are detrimental in the long run. And so that's what I think about is just on the daily basis, making those, those decisions that you're going to be proud of down the line, like, like investing and saving, like it's not, it's not sexy. It's not right. always sexy. Um, but you're going to be really happy come 50, 60 years old that you made those decisions. And that that's what I think of immediately. Oh, that's an awesome answer, man. Awesome answer. And then the last question I ask everybody Trey is uh, the fears you put in your mind over the last call it 20 years. How many of those fears actually blew up to the magnitude you put them in your mind to be? Ooh, I, I can't remember like all the specifics of them, but there, I mean, there are a couple of instances where I, you can speak that kind of stuff into existence. Like, man, I really hope my hamstring holds up here. Well, no, it didn't hold up. <laughs> instead of just instead of just, the universe yeah. instead of just operating freely and uninhibited probably the only reason that anything ever happened was because i was guarding it right because i was yeah. like thinking about it too much but i i can't think of any like specifics that they're never as big in real life as you make them it's kind of like your your quadrant what what what's the worst that can happen and again if you prepare for it if you're mentally prepared for um things not going well, which you always should be, you should always have that like mental practice of like, what do I do if, um, it's what separates really good decathletes from not so good ones. Um, even if it does happen, you're ready, you're ready to go. Like it's, it's a, it's a very, very small speed bump. It's not a wall. Yeah. Yeah. And I think too, to your, to the point of that question is everybody's kind of that same way. It's like, you always see them go in their mind and it's, Oh crap, really none of them. Right. I mean, even yeah. when you had your Tommy John surgery, right? Times two, as you said, right? Yeah. That fear 
didn't blow up maybe to the magnitude. My career's over. I'm going to never make another dime again. I'm going to lose my business. I'm going to lose my clients. I'm going to do that. Um, no, I worked my ass off and I went and I threw within basically four and a half feet of my best ever and got the silver medal in the Olympics and got to listen to the, uh, I mean, star spangled banner. Are you kidding me? Like unbelievable. Right. Yeah. But yet in our minds, we go there every day, whether it's for work, it's for our health, it's for our kids. And I'm guilty of it too. That's why I ask the question every time, right? I put these fears in my mind. They have never come too true to the magnitude I put them in my mind to be. Mm. So I appreciate you sharing that, man. So yeah. where do our listeners find more of Trey Hardy? Uh, Trey. Oh goodness. Uh, typically in my bed, if I'm not running and chasing kids, but, uh, <laughs> at, at Trey Hardy on almost all social media stuff, okay. I'm, I'm not, not quite, I don't know how TikTok works yet. I'm still, yeah. I think that let's skip my generation, but on yep. Twitter, Twitter and Instagram at Trey Hardy. And then if anybody's interested in the, the Altum wellness platform, where is it Trey at Altum wellness.me and I'm available. I think that was one thing I kind of messed uh, in my career was thinking like, okay, if I talk to everybody, then they're just taking from me, taking from me, taking from me. And no, I have, I have moments now I schedule in my day to, to do social media and do yeah. emails and sign cards and do all that kind of stuff um, to try to maybe make amends, make amends for the last 15 years. But yeah. Um, yeah, reach out, love to talk, love to share, love to help in any way that I can. Yeah. Well, it's cool, man. And I, I would say that's how we're here today. Right. And it's, yeah. uh, you, you got to connect and you got to connect with people. And, and uh, I think the more we can give back as leaders, the, the better off we'll make the world. Right. This is what we said, show up, be joyful, leave it better than you found it. That's what you did today here on the circuit of success, man. So really appreciate your time, Trey. This is awesome. I really appreciate it. Let me know if you ever want me back. I'd love to. Absolutely. Maybe I'll yeah. come to Austin, man. We'll, uh, we'll do a workout and do a little uh, podcast Heck. and, uh, Hang out with Cal and some other guys. I was just about to say, like, let's loop, let's get the crew together. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. Well, thanks for being with me, Trey. Awesome, Brett. Thanks for having me. Tune in next week for another episode of The Circuit of Success with Brett Gilliland on the lineupmedia.fm podcast network. Subscribe to the show on iTunes. Google Play, Stitcher, and through our website, circuitofsuccess.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and email any questions to info at circuitofsuccess.com. This podcast was a presentation of lineupmedia.fm. 